Welcome to this week's edition of Coach Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 122. We're going to talk about getting back to practices. It's a time for that to happen now that we're past the holidays. Welcome to 2022. Uh, we're excited about the new year and excited about the topic today. Before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And as always, if you're in a position where you can help support Coach Prep and everything fast pitch, go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. We really do appreciate our patrons are doing a great job of keeping us going. We would love to add some more people to that group. Patreon.com slash everything fast pitch, and it'll all be explained to you there. So, Don, we're going to start cranking up practices again, whether it's yes. travel ball or high school. Um, yep. Everybody's getting going. Now that we're getting ready to crank it back up, coaches, we got to talk about something. We know you're excited. We know you're enthusiastic. Right. We know you love this game and you love your kids. But we've got to find a balance between what's a realistic expectation for the amount of time, energy, and practicing that we're going to be doing so that we have kids that stay healthy, get ready, keep their passion, keep their enthusiasm, and are rocking and rolling and ready to roll when it's time for us to start playing games. I had the good fortune. I did uh, one of our rented coaches the other day and had a chance to go out and work with a team. It was their very first practice. I was there for about two and a half hours. I'm not exactly sure how long they were there, but they had been there for about an hour and a half when I got there, and they clearly were not going to be leaving when I left. That sounds like a long practice to me, Tori. This time of year, for sure. Yeah, and now part of it was indoors. They're fortunate they've got a setup where they can be indoors and outdoors at the same facility so they can go in and do hitting in the cages and then go out to the field and do some stuff, kind of go back and forth. And all that's great. But the, the challenge for us now, especially as we get started, is how much work is the right amount of work, and when are we getting in that danger zone of pushing beyond what's rational, what's reasonable? When are we getting to that point of doing more harm than good? So, Tori, it, it's one of those deals where every year we probably need to cover this, right? Yep. We need to talk about it and go over it again because the kids are excited, parents are excited, coaches are excited. Yep. Everybody's uh, just psyched and ready to get going and had cabin fever through the through the winter months here and stuff like that. But trying to make that balance is going to be probably critical in our overall success this year. And to me, I would love for us to consider erring on the side of caution. Yep. And when when we're planning these things and doing these things, arms and legs are usually the parts that, that get hurt the most. They can be attentive. We can do lots of chalk talk and things like that to use up some of that time that we're trying to fill. But to have a plan, I think is what, yep. what, what you're saying is the most important piece, is having a progressive plan to help ease everybody back into 
these really heavy work days. Right. Well, so, and the reality yeah. of it is the kids don't know any better. And it right. doesn't matter what age players you're talking about. If we say we're going to have our first practice, everybody's going to be so excited. Everybody wants to show out so much mm-hmm. that if you told them to throw it 100%, 300 times the first day, they, every one of them is going to try. Do it, and, yeah. and none of them are going to think there's anything out of the ordinary. Well, the reality of it is that those first few practices, if they're throwing a couple hundred throws at full speed, we're already in the danger zone. Yeah. So we need to start to think about as we're putting this strategy together that there's a lot of things that we can be doing in practice that don't require any throwing at all. There's lots of things that we can be doing in practice that's okay to throw at half speed. There's a lot of different types of throws and things that we should be working on to kind of break up the strain and the stress that we're putting on the shoulder and the, and the arm. Building all those things into our practice plan is crucial to make sure that we're working on all our skills, that we're getting ready to go without it just being this marathon of, I'm going to hit ground balls to the shortstop and she's going to throw rockets across the field and I'm going to hit fly balls to the left fielder and she's going to throw bullets to the plate. I even catch myself, Tori. You know, I'll, I'll, I like to condition and exercise and do all these things, but if I haven't for a while and I jump right back in and I, I go hard at anything, I feel it. I almost hurt myself. Yeah. So we have to be extra attentive to make sure that we don't, you know, that we recognize what's going on right. so that we don't do that to our athletes, yeah. for and, sure. And, and it's, a, it's an easy trap to fall into. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, not, you know, I'm hoping I'm not sounding too judgmental. Because I get it. I mean, when, yeah. when you get out there and you start going, it's exciting. And, and it's like, and you you get back out there with the kids, and and your adrenaline's going, and you're you know you're so excited because they're looking so good, and you're having so much fun. And all of a sudden, you look down, and it's like, well, wait a second, we've been throwing hard now for forty five straight minutes. You need to cut that off, right? Like, holy cow, that's more than enough. The plan is important, so we need to have the biggest thing. That stick we need to, to it. Th- yeah, the biggest yeah. thing that we need to be thinking about early in the season, I believe, is throwing. Okay, I think that is the number one area that we cause more more problems than anything else. So let's develop a, a comprehensive plan that makes sure that we're warming up really well, that we're stretching really well, that we're building into throwing hard by having a logical progression of short throws, short soft throws, longer throws, throws with some arc on them, you know, all these different things that get the arm really warmed up. And once we're really warmed up and ready to go and we've worked on our throwing progression, that we're realistic about how many throws are logical for each player. Now, it's going to change and be different for different age kids. It's going to be different for different skill level kids. But the reality of it is for you as the coach of that team, you know what the skill level and the age level are. As you said, Don, err on the side of caution. If we're having our very first practice, and we're going to be out there for you know two or three or four hours, then I think we need to be looking at it and say, okay, out of a four-hour practice, if we're throwing the ball hard more than a hundred times, we're probably yeah, yeah, we're probably already in trouble. Why is it important to think about it? Because if I, if my shortstop needs to field three hundred ground balls, there's nothing wrong with her fielding three hundred ground balls, but it doesn't mean she needs to make three hundred hard throws across the field to first base. If I think she needs to get 300 ground balls today, and that's a bunch, right? But we'll just use that for a number. She can field 50 throwing them to first base. She can field flipping them to third base. She can field 50 of them working on her forehand flip to the second baseman who could be working on her timing for 
for a double play. Uh, she can be doing 50 with the glove flip. She can do 50 where she's charging and coming in and making a half speed on the run throw to the catcher. And we've got 250 throws, and only 50 of them were full tilt. Now, I still think that's an awful lot of throwing, but if we're mixing in some flips, we're doing some glove flips, we're doing the you know half throws to the third baseman, we're working on all those different things, we're going to take some of that strain off. And the other thing that it does is it helps us get the players to understand that we don't always need to use a shotgun. We don't always need to use a rocket launcher to be an effective player at whatever our position is. There's a lot of times that that half speed throw, that that flip, that that half throw, that that you know three quarters lob throw is going to be more effective. It's the right throw yeah. for that situation. And now we have the good fortune with the, the one team that I work with quite a bit that we do a lot of stuff in a in a very small, in a relatively small indoor space. You know that's about thirty feet wide and about fifty feet long, and so it's plenty big enough for us to do a lot of really good stuff. But if they're working on their 200-foot throw in a 50-foot in a 50 foot foot space, space, then yeah. we're going to have problems. So we have to you know, constantly be talking about, okay, today we're working in this small space. We have to work on a throw that can be caught and can be handled in this space. If you're throwing it as hard as you can, chances are she's not going to be able to catch it. So we need to have that 50-foot throw. We need to have the 25-foot throw. We need to have the 20-foot throw. We need to have the flips. We need to have all those different things. That, to me, is, is a big part of our solution to making sure that we're not causing arm problems when we crank it up at the beginning. Well, the other thing I'm, I'm thinking about, too, Tori, as you're uh, describing some of this stuff, is that if I've got Team A and Team B, if Team B has requested or required all the kids to get out and throw on Tuesday, and then we've got a Saturday practice, I think that they're going to be a lot more likely prepared for a slightly heavier workload than Team A that hasn't been requested or, or required to do anything. Right. And that Saturday practice is the first thing they've done. Right. So we kind of have to, as you're doing your planning, like you're saying, have this you know progressive thing. And if they're able to do stuff on their own, then they'll be more likely less injury happening on those weekend right. weekend practices. Yeah. Well, one of the things as, as coaches, we hear this all the time. Well, every one of my kids hits every day. Well, I'm dubious when I hear that. Send, send me the video, yeah, right? I'm, I'm dubious when, I, when coaches are that confident that every one of their kids does hit every single day because I don't think that that probably really happens. But instead of asking them to just hit every day, how about we hit on the odd number days and we throw on the even number days? Right. So on January 2nd, I throw. On January 3rd, I hit. On January 4th, I throw. And on and on. So then when I've practiced on January 6th, I've had two days of throwing that week, three days of hitting, and I go into practice thinking, man, I feel good. I'm, re- I'm really ready. And the muscles are yeah. healing and recouping. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And so, and, and there's other things too that we can get into trouble. Now, we talk about the arm the most because that to me is the most scariest of the possibilities. But kids taking 250, 300 swings and getting big giant blisters and tearing their hands up is a really bad idea. That's a, taking um, a step backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ton, tons and tons of running. If we haven't done anything to prepare for it, getting into sprinting without any kind of you know really good warm up routine to to make sure that the legs are really ready to go, and again spending time really stretching. The greatest mistake I've seen doing the rent a coach things, and I've seen it more than a couple of times, and had to have heart to heart talks with coaches is the idea of throwing as a warm up and that being their way of getting ready to run and hit and run bases and make plays on defense was it just by throwing a little bit that somehow all those other muscles are going to be ready to go full tilt 
if your idea of warming up is throwing, we already have to talk. Okay, throwing is a skill that needs to be practiced. You need to have an absolutely planned out thing for throwing, just like you have to have an active warm-up program in place that gets every part of the body warmed up, every part of the body stretched out and loosened up so that these kids are really ready to get after it. Pulled hamstring, those, sore. Those last a long time. Yeah, so, sore legs, shin splints. Arm pain lasts for weeks and weeks, and it just drags out. Well, there's one one little girl I work with who's a really good softball player, but she's a multi-sport person, and and she's really good at a lot of different things. And she came in uh, for her lesson right before Christmas, and she had the rubber bands below the knees. Put some tension down there, yeah. And I asked her what happened, and she said, well, I've got really bad shin splints. So why do we have this? I couldn't think of it. I said, "Well, well, how did you get shin splints? And I said, because you're not playing basketball. Oh, no, I got shin splints from softball practice because we're, we're practicing indoors and we've been doing indoor conditioning. We've been doing all this, you know, sprinting. Running on the courts. And and, and, yeah. and she's one of those kids that would never hold back at all. She's, you know, 110%, you know, like every single thing she does to the point that I make her stretch a little bit while she's waiting to come into the cage because otherwise she'll jump in and be swinging 200 miles an hour the first time I put the ball in the tee. But, and so I started talking to her about, well, what exactly have you been doing? She started going through the list of all the stuff that they were doing in conditioning on a gym floor. Yeah. Box jumps, all this different stuff, you know, super high impact, guessing that she's not the only There's person. no on wonder. Her, yeah, yeah. She's not the only person on her team that's got shin splints. Well, guess what? Those are going to hurt from now until forever. A nagging. Yeah. It, it, it never yeah. stops hurting until you have a, like a really long break of doing nothing. So did we have a really good conditioning workout? Probably. But again, if, if our goal is to undo... Or a real productive... Yeah. yeah. If, our, if our goal is to undo three months of the kids doing nothing by having a couple of really super hard practices to get them, yeah. the only, only, get, only person that really is the gotcha is you when your whole team is, is hurt and hobbled. And I kind of understand wanting these mega practices, Tori, because we've got players from so many different places yeah. coming together for this travel team and... We're only able to get together on Saturday and we got rained out last Saturday and, you know, all these different things. But I think that uh, being productive might be more of a, like I say, progressive thing on, before that Saturday practice, but a team building opportunity or, or the picnic type thing where we're spending time together, yeah. creating a little bit more familiarity between, you know, new players and, and the prior group and um, just figuring out how to how to be creative and make it better, right? right? Well, and, Not, and and I understand that too. And I, I know I've I've had some blowback from people. Like, well, yeah, you were a college coach. You had kids at practice every, every day. day. And yeah. like, well, yeah, that's yeah, true. Of course. But so we would still try to be logical with our 20 hours in the week to make sure that we weren't killing the kids. Right. Because it's the same thing. It's just having the chance to have them more often doesn't mean that you're any less tempted to be dumb. Not working them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I, I was just 20 hours a week tempted to be really dumb and do too much instead of just six hours a week because I only had one day. But but here's the compromise. The compromise be I want. better teaching them how to do it on their own prior, right. prior and, to that and, big mega practice. Yeah, and, and the compromise is if we need six hours, then that's okay. But in those six hours, let's let's just say bunt coverages. You know, we, we really are struggling with bunt coverages. Well, we can do a couple hundred repetitions of bunt coverages and only throw every third ball. Right. Because the most important part of the bunt coverage is making sure everybody knows where they're supposed to go every single time. Bases covered. Yeah. If yeah. if you interchange the third Footwork. baseman and the catcher, 
the third baseman doesn't have to throw the ball to first base for the catcher to work on getting down to third base to cover. If your first baseman's really struggling to get in far enough to make a play to act effectively field the bunt if it gets bunted down the first base line, she doesn't have to throw every one to first base for her to work on the footwork and the body positioning and getting in crashing hard enough to make sure that yep. she can make those plays. The second baseman doesn't need to receive every throw at first base to have the footwork, to have the footwork and to mm-hmm. work on breaking and reading the, you know, the bunter's hands and all those different kinds of things. And so, you know, perfect example. And we talked about, you know, 300 ground balls to the shortstop. Well, let's take now only a hundred of them had an actual throw. Right. And so toss. let's say a hundred bunt coverage plays. If we throw every third, that means we threw 33 balls. Right. But we had a hundred times where we did everything we're supposed to do. Yep. So 33 throws spread out amongst three or four or five players making the throws is a piece of cake. Yeah. If all of a sudden we find out that our third baseman's super aggressive and she's now throwing the ball to first base on 25 bunt plays in a row, we're starting to get into trouble. Yep. Right? And again, because the other part about the travel ball world is when I'd have a college practice, I'd have two or three kids at third base all trying to convince me that they needed to be the third baseman. I have two or three kids at first base that were dying to prove to me that they deserved to be at first. Yeah. So they could rotate every play, and it didn't mean, you know, even if they did throw every ball, the same player didn't do it over and over and over again. And so, you know, there's just a balancing act that we're looking for, and that's what we're, the, balance is the key word. And, and coaches, we want to have balance. We want you to feel like you're ready. We want you to feel like your team is ready, but we also want you to know that your team is healthy. Your team really ready to play, and half the kids' arms hurt so bad that they don't want to throw it to first base. Just so that you can be perfect on the first tournament out there. It isn't going to get us anywhere. Let's build it up. Wanting our kids to be better conditioned athletes isn't going to happen if we kill them the first day and they're all walking around with shin splints so bad that they wouldn't do anything on their own because it hurts so much. Right. So that balance is what we're talking about. And hopefully we can encourage them, as Don said, to do some of this stuff on their own, to have a routine that's going to get them as ready as possible. But let's make sure we're keeping that balance in mind, trying to think about, you know, the long haul being ready to play for the whole season and not just the first game. I love it. And have a punch list. Make sure that you think about what it is that you need to get done. Otherwise, you'll forget something. Make a plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So that's going to wrap up number 122. Make sure you check out our sponsors, Anderson Bat Company and Patreon.com slash Everything Fast Pitch. Please go to FastPitchPrep.com and order your square cut training disc. $49.95 a dozen. Tons of other information. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, reach out to us at FastPitchPrep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. For Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.